page 12 as we look at the series of Get a Life. It's not supposed to be insulting. You may or may not recall uh, Pastor's first lesson several weeks ago was about our ultimate reason for doing what we do. And he went over some of the reasons for doing what we do, which are good reasons but are not the ultimate reasons. We want to see people saved. We want to have opportunity to witness to people. Uh, we want to be good stewards. We want to be good citizens. We want to be good parents. We want to be good kids. You know, we want to be responsible. We want to do what's right. But ultimately, the main and primary, the penultimate reason, the motivation for all we do is God's glory. And that was what Pastor looked at in the first week. And in the second week, he went from, I would say, the theoretical to more of the practical, which was to encourage us with practical ways that you can shape your life to prioritize what is the most important, what gives God the most glory, what he's told you are your top priorities. And I hope it was a challenge to you. It was a challenge to me because we do get tend to get caught up in the, in the mill, running the mill. And we do the things that we have to do. We're subject to what one author, you may, have, you may know this already, called the tyranny of the urgent. Getting done what has to get done right then because otherwise things will blow up in your face. But there are higher priorities sometimes than even what seems so urgent at that particular moment. And so Pastor gave some very good, and they're listed in uh, the first pages of this booklet that you should have. He gave some very good ways for us to structure our life. Structure may not be uh, a flashy word. may not be a word that your mind jumps at the opportunity. I want to add more structure. I certainly am not that way, but I need to because Pastor even gave such a, a mundane example as having a day planner or having something in your a calendar in your cell phone or in your PDA, something that is going to let you know when people say, hey, I have an opportunity to minister, or hey, would you like to come over for dinner? That instead of saying, I don't know, you know, things are things are just busy, I, I, I'm not really sure, or maybe jumping and saying, oh yeah, I'd love to, and then having to back out later, being able to look and say... Yeah, I'm free. I would love to do that. That's going to help me in my ministry to you or to the church. It's going to help me carry out that mission for the glory of God. And pastors left me the task today, and you see at the top of 12, that most Christians agree we should live intentionally for God's purpose. If asked to explain that purpose, most Christians would correctly answer, as we've seen, to bring glory to God. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to God's glory. But if asked to define what the glory of God is, many would be left silent. And still fewer could explain how one goes about this important task. And I sometimes wonder if maybe we're as foggy on the glory of God as we are sometimes on the will of God. You ask people about the will of God, and you're almost going to get as many answers as you ask the question. Because everybody seems to have a little different take on what the will of God is. And Pastor's done some good series in the past, and some good messages on what the will of God is, and how maybe it's not as mystic as we grew up thinking it was. 
There's not a fleece involved necessarily. It's a lot more about obedience to the revealed word of God. And I wonder sometimes if we're as foggy about the glory of God and what that means. So what we're going to do today is track, start at the glory of God, track our way through this principle to discover what our responsibilities are, what God expects of us. When we look at this fantastic, glowing concept of God's glory, how do we make that practical? How do we bring it down to where you and I can sink our teeth into it, our teeth, our teeth into it, and say, this is what I need to do. This is what I need to start changing so that I can glorify God better. The pastor mentions the Great Commission, Matthew 28, 19 through 20. But what is the connection between God's glory and that Great Commission? Is the Great Commission for us? Is the Great Commission just for pastors and leaders or is it for us too, regular people? And in the last book of the Bible, we're given a glimpse of that universal worship of God. Pick up near the end there. It says of Revelation 5, Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them singing, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. The four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. And we see also the angels and all the saints throughout all time are thrilled to give and reflect glory back to God for eternity. That's our ultimate goal. We say, what about our goal right now? And Pastor mentions in his notes that theologians call this God's intrinsic glory. It's the glory that God just has. Whether or not you ever existed, God would still have that glory. As Pastor Matt mentioned, the church does need us in a manner, but God does not need you to carry out his mission. He doesn't need Zach Hamilton. His plan would go forward sovereignly whether I chose to obey him or not, whether I existed or not. God would still be great and good if I didn't exist for him to save me. He would still be merciful and gracious. And each one of us are little mirrors that reflect that greatness and that goodness of God. But if you took all these mirrors out of this room, God would still be great. And God would still be good. Those are intrinsic to his character. It's just who he is. We can be thankful for that. The verse there says, In love he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace. Lord, thank you for saving me. Thank you for the gospel working in my heart every day to make me into the person that you want me to be. But look down there at the worldwide mission. The worldwide mission, that intrinsic glory of God, but what about the glory that you're supposed to reflect back to God? It is God's desire to display his character, there in the middle of page 13, his glory to the world. And he desires and deserves that the response be worship of him. While God's character is his intrinsic glory, and we're grateful for his wonderful character, the Worship is ascriptive glory. And look at the verse, Psalm 29, 1 through 2. Ascribe to the Lord, O mighty ones. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. What does ascribe mean? It's not, not that hard. You probably already have an idea. 
What was a scribe? A scribe was someone who wrote. This comes from the Latin scribere. It means to write, in a sense. So here's how I've been thinking about it this week. And it's helped me. It may help you as well. You think about writing God's name at the top of a chalkboard and a line underneath that and then listing all the wonderful things about God. His holiness. His mercy. His love. His patience. His justice. His wisdom. can go on and on and on as reflected throughout God's word. Those are things that you are ascribing to God. You're saying, Lord, I'm giving you the credit. And in all respect, you can think of ascribing writing as chalking things up to God. I'm chalking that up to God. I'm giving God the credit for this instance in my life. I'm getting, giving God the credit for what he did in bringing me and my spouse together or opening up this job opportunity for me or giving me the wonderful kids and grandkids that I have today. I ascribe that to God. I chalk it up to God. I want him to get the glory for this. The purpose is consistent from the beginning of the Bible to the end. We recognize and we acknowledge those wonderful parts of God's character and his wonderful actions. And we see, later, uh, right before the verse, Genesis 1, 26-28, we see God's desire for his own glory at the beginning of history, creation. God said, let us make man in our image. Then later, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And the image of God in man means that we reflect God. As I said earlier, we're little mirrors that are supposed to reflect God as clearly as possible. What I told the uh, fifth and sixth graders last year in Kids for Truth, I don't know if any of them remember. I'm not going to pick on them if they are in here. A and A. A and A. When you think about the image of God in man, something that is unique to humanity, you may love Fluffy, your Pomeranian, but she doesn't have the image of God. The image of God, A and A, authority and attributes. Authority and attributes. The image of God in mankind, uniquely, means that we have authority. He's vested us with his authority to be his image bearers on this earth. He's ha- we, don't, we rule the earth, not the animals, not the plants. God has given mankind the authority to do that. And then also, the attributes. And you see that in Pastor's Notes at the top of 14. This reflection is not a physical resemblance, because God is a spirit. But then, it is personal, in that we have the components of personhood, as does God. We have a mind, a fantastic mind. We have a will. We can make choices for ourselves, And we have emotion. Those are all parts that God has in his, what makes him a person. And we have the same, uh, we have to a degree, a mind and a will and emotions fashioned after God. So when we talk about the image of God, I hope it's not something fu- uh, fuzzy. It is the authority that mankind has to rule the earth. And it is the attributes of God that we reflect back to him. So that image of God 
as we know in the fall was marred it was broken it's like a mirror that if you punch through that mirror try to hold it up and look at yourself it doesn't give you a clear reflection anymore you can still see the general shape you can tell it's a person but you may not be able to recognize yourself in it anymore and that is sadly what we're like now Now that sin has entered into the world, mankind doesn't reflect God very well anymore. We still do to some degree. We still have the mind, will, and emotions. We still have the authority that he's given us. But we're not his perfect image bearers anymore. And so what's the solution? The solution there is that God has chosen to use the gospel message to transform people. The reason God gave the Great Commission is because it turns mouths and lives that now curse and rebel against him into mouths and lives that praise and serve him. And as Pastor has quoted before, evangelism exists where worship does not. So wherever people are not worshiping God, where they're not ascribing back to God the glory that is due Him, we need to evangelize. We need to spread His fame. We need to get people uh, the message of of the gospel so that the Holy Spirit can work on their hearts and their hearts can be turned back to God. And Pastor mentions... um, Next, the glory of God and the church. If you take that wonderful glory of God, how is it related to the local church? Do we need to relate it to the local church? And he quotes a lengthy passage from Ephesians 3, 2 through 11. Look near the end there. It's underlined. His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose, which he accomplished in Christ Jesus. Jesus, our Lord. So God's purpose is always and at all times His own glory. And at this time, amazingly, He's accomplishing His glory, His mission, His plans through the church. look at the top of page 15, the advance of the church and the advance of the Great Commission. Let me read the Great Commission for you. I think we're all familiar with it. Then Jesus came and said to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey. There's actually several different commands there. I'm sure Pastor's gone over that, and you've probably heard that as well. But there's also another issuing of the Great Commission in Acts 1.8. Look at that down there. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Luke has picked up at the beginning of Acts, right where he left off in his gospel, and he's showing how Jesus Christ commissioned the those who were worshiping him still and who had not scattered and who had been remained faithful to him, he's commissioning them to get the message of his death and his resurrection out. And that message wasn't just for Jerusalem. 
It wasn't just for Judea and Samaria. It was eventually to the ends of the earth, which probably was a little overwhelming for these Jewish disciples of Jesus Christ at the time. But Acts 1.8, look a little bit right before Roman numeral 2. Since Acts 1.8 forms the outline for the book of Acts. I won't take the time to go through that. You can read that, the note that he has from the Bible Knowledge Commentary. But it is a highly significant verse. And the rest of Acts contains little report cards. Here's how the church was doing, Luke writes, as it tried to fulfill Christ's commission from Acts 1.8. And what do, we have to ask ourselves, what do the book of Acts and the rest of the New Testament teach us regarding how the biblical mission is advanced? We have this great high calling, spread God's glory, evangelize, where people don't worship God, try to put the gospel in front of them, plead with them. See how the Holy Spirit will use you, use the Word of God to reach them, to open their eyes towards the gospel. So they can then be, as Matthew 28 said, discipled, made into people who obey God and know His teachings. And that was what the apostles' ministry was, friends. Look at uh, point A. The beginnings of the church and the biblical mission are parallel. Biblical mission. I don't want it to be something that you walk out of here saying, boy, I knew he was talking about God's glory and the church, but just didn't get what this biblical mission was. Look at Acts 2, 37-38. When the people heard this, after the apostles had been preaching the word to them, it says they were cut to the heart, and they said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. But not only are the beginnings of the church, at the, at, that was days after the Holy Spirit had come upon the disciples and given them the power to proclaim his word throughout their local region and then spreading further and further. But see also, point B, that the church is central to the biblical mission. The pastor makes an excellent point here. American culture has prized independence, self-sufficiency. Nobody tells me what to do. And we've bought into that. We've bought into that mindset that says, nobody, I don't need anyone else. It's just me. Just let me have my castle in my house. Just let me, I don't even need to go to the football game anymore because I've got a 70-inch screen. I don't need to go, I don't need to be with you people. I can do it all on my own. And we've let that affect us because we don't think as much that the church is all that necessary to the biblical mission. But as I'm trying to show you, and pastor's trying to show you, and I hope you can see, is that to really glorify God, you have to carry out the biblical mission. And the biblical mission is carried out in the local churches. The churches at the top of 17, the distinctive element of this age. 1 Corinthians 12, 13, as uh, Pastor Matt mentioned earlier, we were all baptized by one spirit into one body. And that outline of the book of Acts shows that the work was not carried out merely by a collection of individuals, but through the corporate work of local churches. You say, but Zach, 
I think about Acts and I think about individuals. I think about Paul and Silas and Barnabas and Luke and uh, all these different people. Apollos, they were individuals. They were carrying out the mission. They were glorifying God, but they were doing it individually, right? Wrong, <laughs> to be frank. The, the fact is that these people were men and women who had been commissioned, sent out by local churches to spread God's glory locally, and then some were sent to the far regions of the Roman Empire of that time. The usage of the term ecclesia, point four there, is a called out assembly. And a popular and deep-rooted notion advocates that the work of the mission is carried out strictly on an individual level. That level is the universal church. Uh, Louis Perry Schaefer, a very good theologian, has a mistaken idea and ultimately says, the common phrase, the church's task, is therefore without biblical foundation. Many today at the top of 18 there have a preoccupation with the universal body of Christ. Let me give you an example of the universal body of Christ. Hebrews 2.11 Both the one who makes men holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers. Everyone who has truly repented and believed on Jesus Christ throughout all of history is knitted together in a vast brotherhood called the universal body of Christ, the universal church. It's true. It's a wonderful fact. But if you see at the bottom of pastor's paragraph there, it can be said that the New Testament perspective is that the universal body of Christ is always manifest through local assemblies of believers. So what does that mean? It means that somebody, maybe a Christian that you know, who says, I'm a believer. I put my faith in Jesus Christ a long time ago. But I I just churches, they just don't really do anything for me. You know, I I don't really understand. The the, the pastors, they seem so arrogant. They think they know it all. People are so hypocritical. I can't ever find a church that really just fits me just right. So, you know what? I still belong to the universal body, right? I'm still part of that big brotherhood of Christians throughout all time. That's what God really wants, right? Isn't that the most important thing? I think if we look at the ministry pattern of the Apostle Paul, who did speak of the universal body of Christ, but he spoke of that universal body of Christ practically as seen in the many local churches, the local small bodies of believers who met together to worship and celebrate the Lord's table and baptize and evangelize and encourage one another in the faith. Look under that. Point A, the local church is the source of the mission, the source of the biblical mission. Because we see in Acts 13.3, the church at Antioch placed their hands on them, them being Saul and Barnabas, and sent them off. The local church, just like we saw, we had a great example of this. I hope you're able to be here, or if you weren't, to be able to see our church's first ordination of Pastor Matt a few weeks ago. There are DVDs available of that. That is special, folks. That is really special. I look forward to the day when, Lord willing, you will ordain me as well, if the Lord continues to move in my life in that direction. 
is really special that the Lord commissioned Pastor Matt to serve in the gospel ministry. But Pastor Matt did not just start calling himself Pastor Matt. You remember when Pastor Ken got up here and said, Pastor Matt has passed his ordination council. It's now right and proper to start calling him Pastor Matt. I work with him, so it's hard for me to do that. But I do try to call him Pastor Matt here at church because he has been ordained to that ministry. If you let me get off topic just a little bit, this makes me cautious about some ministries that are not based in a local church. Ministries like Promise Keepers or even a ministry like True, like the True Woman Conference some of our ladies are going to. It doesn't mean that they're not biblical. It doesn't mean that they're not helping God's people. But I look at a ministry like that that rose up maybe a grassroots movement and is not based in any one particular church. It doesn't answer to the pastors and elders and deacons at that church. And history has shown that those movements tend to get hijacked much more easily. They tend to get off course much more easily. For an example, on the other side, look at SGI, Student Global Impact from our sister church, Inner City Baptist Church. That is a minute part of the mission's mandate from Inner City Baptist Church. SGI just couldn't decide that they host, they host conferences twice a year. They just couldn't decide as a student global impact. We just want to, we're just going to have our conference this year in the local Catholic church. I hope everybody's okay with that. No, they couldn't do that because Pastor Dave Doran and the leadership at Inner City Baptist Church would say, no, we don't feel that's biblically, biblically consistent and proper. Let me give you an example. Maybe this will help drive it home. The Tea Party. I really don't care right now whether you're in favor of the Tea Party, whether you think it's the best thing to happen in American politics since Ronald Reagan or before, or whether you think it's destroying American politics. Regardless of your personal feelings for the Tea Party, there have been numerous stories. As we know, the Tea Party is not part of the Republican Party. It's not part of any party. It's just a grassroots movement that sprung up all across the country. The problem is there's some people who claim to speak for the Tea Party. They claim to say, I'm a Tea Party organizer. I'm a spokesman for the Tea Party. But then there's someone else who comes up and says, well, I'm a Tea Party candidate too. I'm a spokesman. And they are at odds with each other. And there's even accusations that some people aren't real Tea Partiers, that they're actually plants by the Democratic Party. But because these, these people aren't based in the Republican Party or the Democratic Party, the Libertarian Party, they're very easily hijacked. Anybody can stand up and say, oh, I'm a Tea Party candidate. Vote for me. I'm not saying it's good. I'm not saying it's bad. But there's a, a parallel there, isn't it? When you're connected organically, when you spring out of God's church, the local church, you have the accountability, you have the commissioning, you have the approval of that church. Not only are you sourced in it, but the local church is the means of the biblical mission. Look at point B. The local church supported Paul's work in the biblical mission. He reported his progress back to it and received his support from it. It talks about the gifts that they gave to support his ministry. And then point C. The local church is the end of the biblical mission. 
as Paul gained converts to Christ, the clear objective was the establishment of new churches. Look at the last verse there of Acts 14. Paul and Barnabas appointed elders for them in each church and with prayer and fasting committed them to the Lord in whom they had put their trust. Paul and Barnabas and others were commissioned by local churches, but it didn't end there. They went on to establish local churches, to commission more local churches, elders who would start local churches throughout all of Asia Minor and beyond. That's how the great commission that Jesus Christ gave in Matthew and in Acts went forward, was through these faithful men based in the local church, getting their support from the local church, and with the end as the local church going forward and doing God's terrific work. David Hesselgrave has given in his book a model there. I hope you take the time to look at it. It shows the gospel going forward through churches and how that is God's plan. And I give you 1 Timothy 3, 14 and 15 before we look at our responsibilities briefly. It says, although I hope to come to you soon. This is in the middle of page 19. Although I hope to come to you soon, I'm writing you these instructions so that if I'm delayed, you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of the truth. Can prove to you very quickly, very easily, that that's not the universal church that we all belong to. That's a local church because verses 1 through 13 describe the appointment of elders and deacons and their qualifications in a local church. So those last couple verses, 14 and 15, are describing how God expects us to behave and conduct ourselves and carry out his mission in the local churches. And so pastor's notes here say that each believer, see there, has been saved to help accomplish the mission. It's not just a few, it's all. As Pastor Matt said, it's not okay if certain functions of your body decided to take a little break. The pancreas says, ah, I'm done. Call me when, uh, wake me up when, uh, when the summer's over. If your feet just decided to stop working, I actually I bought my, my car, the car I currently drive. I bought it from a man who was in his late 20s, early 30s. <coughs> As he was headed off to a wedding, he told me this story. As he was headed off to a wedding, he started to feel a little bit of numb. And all of a sudden, his body shut down. He had developed a very rare central nervous disorder that shut down his limbs. And he was paralyzed in the hospital for several months. No prior history of this. His body just shut down. And when I bought the car from him, he was just learning. He was basically at the level of a paraplegic who has had a little bit of use of his arms. You say, wow. Or actually, a quadriplegic, now that I think about it. You say, wow, that could really happen? Yes, it could really happen. It's a measure of God's control over everything in our lives. But imagine if a church, if people just decided, a whole section of people said, I'm done serving. You know what? I gave my time. I gave my money. I'm done. I'm either leaving this church or I'm going to sit in one row, come maybe one time a month, and I'm just done with it. It's not that important to me anymore. Like that man's body shut down, the church, church suffers. 
It doesn't work right when people aren't helping, when people aren't pursuing the biblical mission to the end of the glory of God. And Pastor gives an urge there, urges us there, attend your church's services faithfully at the top of 21. Support its work generously. Serve its programs diligently. Seriously consider your participation in church planning endeavors. And as he went through Hebrews, remember the many warnings to believers not to fall away from the faith or the local church. And there is, for each one of us, friends, a church culture that we can strengthen. And these are my notes here, not pastors. You may be able to tell a difference. But I firmly believe with all of my heart that there is a role, at least one role, in our church, Community Baptist Church, that you as a member are better equipped to carry out than anyone else. It may not be an official role. It may not be the head of a ministry. It may not be something that has a title on it. But there are roles here that you and I can do better than anyone else. And I say that because God has given us each our own personality, experiences, and spiritual gifts. Pastor Matt even referenced those to some degree. And I was going to read some of the verses from earlier in the chapter that he preached on. 1 Corinthians 12, 4-6. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but the same God works all of them in all men. The unique cocktail that is you. Everything that has come together in your life and has been stirred together by God and blended up. You say, what, the bad things too? Yes, the bad things. Your failures, your successes, the people you know, the people you love here at our church, the talents you have, the contacts in the outside world that you have spiritual gift or gifts that God has given every single member every single member of that universal body to help and serve in the local body I am firmly convinced friends that there is something in our church that you can do better than anyone else you say I don't really think that the church has anything the church needs anything I have to offer Zach I think I've pretty much tapped out. You know, I I help out and I set up, you know, once a month. I help out in the nursery a little bit. That's about it. I I don't think, you know, do you know the spiritual scars that I have? Do you know that I, I don't know my Bible nearly as well as some of these other people? Do you know that I don't always necessarily even agree with everything? Let me give you some examples. Your personality, maybe you're an outgoing person, might make you a great fit for the greeting team that greets people as they come in and as they leave. Your experience serving on a school board might make you the perfect person to contact school officials you know about us getting our Kids for Truth flyers that is going to start up in September into the hands of kids in public schools. Did you know we're allowed to do that? We are. Maybe 
you could help Jim Sturgill and others who are working that ministry to get invitations for Kids for Truth into schools in the area. Perhaps your particular spiritual gift that God has given you would be the one that would be the most helpful in encouraging a brother or sister in Christ who was hurting, who'd experienced loss. You say, well, I don't don't really think we have that much in common. I mean, she's so much younger. I think he's so much further along financially than I am. You know, I just, I just, I've never, I don't even really know their name. I'm sorry, I'm just not that good at names. You need to get better, frankly. (laughs) You need to know people's names and not just their names. You need to get involved with them. You need to figure out where their heart is. You need to bleed with them. You need to rejoice with them. The people here, your brothers and sisters at your church. Maybe, here's another example. Maybe your employment, the place where you work, allows you to host a morning Bible study before the workday begins for your coworkers. You know, some jobs, that's fine. Some jobs, that's just not practical. Some jobs, the boss says, absolutely not. I don't want you Christians anywhere near. But some places of work are open to things like that. <clears throat> Have you even asked? Have you even thought about it? Maybe Pastor Ken or Pastor Matt or somebody, or maybe even you, would be willing to host that and to reach out to your unsafe co-workers. There's a lot of opportunities, a lot of opportunities to serve. And they don't necessarily have to have a title. Although maybe God wants you to have a title. Maybe there's a position in the nursery, Sunday school hour, teaching somewhere, helping someone else that does have a name on it. I really believe that there's a hole in our church that looks just like a cutout of you. And that God has intended, He has put you together the way you are, good, bad, and ugly, so that you can fill a need or needs here at our church or at your church where you worship and are a member. Pastor goes on to say that we must joyfully embrace sacrifice for the sake of the mission. Sometimes it hurts. We must maintain a church planning mindset. We need to be thinking about where we can reach out. You know how many Bibles, how many churches came out of Bible studies? The biblical mission is so important. It is related to God's glory. And it is connected, it is performed primarily through local churches like ours. And I hope that this gives you an idea of what the big picture is. It's not just necessarily how you feel or how you think at the moment. It's what role can I fill in this great and awesome thousands of years message that's going forward. It's old and yet it's new. And we can get the gospel out. We can plant churches. We can encourage other Christians. We can build each other up in the Lord. That's all part of the biblical mission, friends. And it's all to the glory of God. Look at the bottom of page 20. In the words of the Common Church Covenant and CBCs, 
determined to give the church a sacred preeminence over every institution of human origin. Have you made that determination in your life? Have you said more than my job? More than my hobbies? More than anything else? More than my part-time role as community organizer in the local city government? More than anything else, my commitment is to my Savior, Jesus Christ, and through this church that he gave his blood for. I hope you've made that determination. I was talking with family this week, and I said, we agreed. One of the biggest changes in somebody's life is when they look at their church, and instead of saying, what can that church do for me? What am I getting out of it? Are they really meeting my needs? And they, it's like a light switch flips. It's not perfect. Sometimes it may go back and forth a little bit. But a light switch flips, and in your mind and in your heart, you start saying, How can I help that church? How can I help people there grow in grace? How can I encourage them? How can I serve? How can I carry out this biblical mission to the glory of God? If that switch hasn't flipped for you, I I pray that you will spend some time in prayer even today. Ask yourself, where does God want me? What does He expect of me? Am I contributing to God's glory or am I a bystander? We're supposed to be more than spectators, friends. And I hope that the glory of God is not something fuzzy, that you can see practical ways structuring your life, like Pastor said this week, or maybe jumping into a ministry, making yourself more available in the local church to carry out the biblical mission to the glory of God. Let's close with a word of prayer. Great God, we're before you today and every single one of us uh, should be thinking of the ways, Lord, that we're selfish and that we don't put you first. And I put myself at the top of the list, Lord. And I ask that each one of us would come to a realization that church is not about what we can get out of it so much as what we can give encouraging our brothers and sisters in Christ, helping to carry out the biblical mission together for your wondrous, awesome, transcendent glory, dear Lord. Bless people as they go out this week that they may carry out in their individual ways and the opportunities you've given them that biblical mission. And I ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.